he's got the shits. Welcome back to the United Pubcast for a bit, a bit, a bit of a review. We're just having a bit of a chat about Harry Kane and his current feeling and Larry might be feeling the same thing. So fingers crossed this podcast goes nice and smooth, unlike England's exit from the World Cup or Portugal's exit. Another dramatic day, Larry. I think France for England, it wasn't a shock that France won. Obviously, I think there were favourites and whatever side of the fence is sort of sat on you that you hoped England went through, but then you also maybe enjoyed parts of England going out. So it wasn't really a shock there. Morocco against Portugal, while we're all on the Moroccan train, that is a big shock. And I'm just thinking, what did you make of that? I didn't watch the Portugal match. So if anyone is in the live chat, do give me your thoughts on the Portugal-Morocco game. I, While I was hoping Portugal went on and had a good tournament to win it for Bruno Fernandes and Diogo Delo, I love what Morocco have done. So fair play to Morocco. And look, I'd love to see them make the final now. Um, I, I caught the highlights, like extended highlights. Um, it, it looks like they just frustrated the hell out of Portugal. Uh, and go to credit where it's due, though, Morocco. Oh, my goodness. Did anyone have them progressing to the group stages? Um, sorry, to the knockout stages, let alone progressing. Semi-final. The first African team in the history of the World Cup, I believe, to make the semi-finals. I'll tell you what I love about the- that. Oh, that, that Moroccan, the, the Moroccan thing and the African thing, which I've found, and, and look, it's a sad circumstance how this has come about, but I remember growing up, I forget when he said it, whether he said it in 86, 90 or 94, I, I forget. I want to go with 1990 around then he said it, but Pele came out saying that he can see an African team winning the World Cup by the year 2000. Now, that was extremely ambitious from when he did say that in terms of was only maybe two World Cups before the year 2000. But it, it, sort of... Instead of saying the year 2000, I would say he meant in the near future. And in the near future, that's five or six World Cups away from where we are now, 2022. And I'm just thinking, unfortunately, it looks like Pele potentially only has a few days left um, on this earth. And I'm just thinking if an African team could win it in his sort of final days, what a, I don't know if, to, if I call it a fitting tribute or not, but what a sort of moment and sort of a fitting end that would be because like, he has called it and the African teams have sort of promised so much over the years. And um, look, I think African teams have been such an iconic part of the World Cup over the years. You look at Senegal, for me, Cameroon are always a huge part of the World Cup. And what Morocco have done, they've brought what the World Cup is about in regards to that colour, that vibe, that atmosphere. You see the fans over there, obviously, it's a similar part of the world, so that it's been easily accessible for them to travel there. But obviously, they've delivered on the pitch. And we'll get into England, France in a little bit, but I do want to sort of stay on the Moroccan train a little bit because while I was a fan of Portugal and hoping they did well in this tournament, you can't begrudge um, Morocco what they've done, and I'm over the moon for them. Oh, no, of course not. It's a wonderful achievement. I mean, I, I kind of said to you, I think as, as football fans, particularly because we follow the European game, I think there is a natural attraction to wanting to see the European heavyweights meet in a, in a final or a South American side, of course. Uh, I think we all had written up the dream scenario of Argentina versus Portugal. That's now obviously no longer possible. Um, but it has to be said, what Morocco have gone on to achieve, this will go down in history. And um, we, we mentioned from an Australian perspective, Tom, the opportunity that Australia had to make history. And, and while we didn't think it was realistic, we said what an achievement it would be for the game in this country. But you got to look at Morocco. They've cemented their history. No matter what happens now, it is a success. I have to say hats off to them, full success and full congratulations to the, Mor- the Moroccan nation. And Good luck to them. I mean, when you're this deep, all you need is a little bit of luck. They could definitely yeah. go on and win the lot. Yeah, look, look, I don't know what's the biggest shot. Greece winning the Euros and Morocco winning the World Cup. But if Greece can win the Euros, um, anything is possible oh, for the Moroccans. I think scales it <laughs> if they win but the World Cup. Um, yeah, look, I understand that. But um, I'll just say good day to some people in the live chat. Before we sort of have a look a lot more in-depth in regards to this England result and France knocking out England, 
But George, good to see you, mate. Good evening, guys. Nothing more spursy than a captain bottling the chance to save his country and become his country all-time top scorer in the process. Look, I want to get into Harry Kane because so so close to the hero now he'll be painted the villain. Now he won't be painted the villain in the way if a Manchester United player missed that penalty. You look at this show, what happened to David Beckham when he was the reason England got knocked out in 98. That won't happen to Harry Kane because of the protection around him. But I don't want to blame him for the defeat because he, he scored the penalty that got them back into the game. It, it, it's one of those things, but it is worth a discussion. Adam, good to see you, mate. Emad, obviously good to see you. Obviously a very happy man with Portugal's exit today. Adam, I don't think Morocco have conceded a goal this tournament. Might be wrong. Surely they have. It could be right. I'm yeah, surely they have. Yeah, oh, but obviously they're very tight defensively, which is obviously uh, goals win yeah, games, but defence wins championships. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. Morocco can frustrate any team. Um, even France. I mean, we'll obviously talk about the game. I thought England were actually the better footballing side today. Uh, but France obviously got the result. So I just think if Morocco can frustrate teams, which they clearly can, anything's possible. Well, to my next point, I'll just say that there's a few more in the live chat, but that point you make on England's football there, I do want to bring up. But um, Adam here, believe it or not, I was listening to a podcast before the World Cup and a guy actually picked Morocco to win the World Cup. There's always some interesting shouts in there. There always is someone, I'm sure someone picked Qatar to win the World Cup, but who knows what's going to happen. Morning, Stephen. Hope you're well. I'm going to see you later today for the Supporters Club. Emad, the beauty of the World Cup, but it has thrown up. A, it's why we watch football. Uh, well, we do sort of want all these sort of big sort of heavyweight clashes, but when these underdog stories do come through, it's a stark reminder of exactly what you do want. Pram, good to see you, mate. Make sure you go, go out to lockdown, go over to Lockdown Sports and um, check out his stuff. Um, might be doing a video with him later today on a bit of some statistics in football. But um, morning, boys, what a beautiful morning of football. Don't disagree at all. And Chris, good to see you, obviously, all aboard the France train. Now, Larry. This game, England-France, we'll get into the fallout and what it means and Southgate out and Harry Kane at fault or it was technically it wasn't Harry Maguire own goal. I know it wasn't an own goal, but it bounced off his head, for God's sake. That was always going to happen in regards to the season Harry Maguire's been having. In regards to this game, though, we've just talked about the Portugal-Morocco. What a story that was. England-France this morning, for me, was the game of the tournament. And not so much people could say there was more dramatic games or more sort of talking points, but the quality. And not so much quality like it was... There was a lot of mistakes, but the mistakes was because of the quality of maybe the defending. There was high-quality defending, which forced mistakes. And I just think there was, for 90 minutes or 90, 100 minutes, whatever the case was, there was no room to breathe. It was like an old-fashioned FA Cup final. It was just tackles flying in, highest-quality players, balls being pinged into players and getting touches, sort of recycling the ball out. And I thought, in terms of what we sort of always wanted a World Cup, in terms of seeing the best players out there, for me, that was the best game of football I've seen at this tournament. And it was worthy of the final, in, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it was everything you want to see in the finals. It was cagey, it was intense, it was combative. Uh, and I mean, I think both teams stood up and delivered. Um, on Harry Kane, uh, and I, I, I know you agree with me, I'm certain you agree with me, that second penalty, he had to give it to someone else. I mean, not only do you have the pressure of, obviously, it's a decisive penalty, but on top of that, it's your teammate who's in goals. You already beat him earlier in the match. I just thought that was way too much psychology going on there. I, I honestly think the mature decision would have been give it to someone else. If that wasn't if his team, I'd say go for it, but it is. I don't know I if I agree or disagree. However, let, who's the next penalty taker in mind? Is it Rashford or just pick another penalty well, Rash taker? Rashford wasn't even on the pitch at the time. So okay, well, I don't well even pick know who another penalty taker for me. Give it to Harry Maguire. He, he can take it. Okay, okay, let's say hypothetically Harry Maguire is a second taker. Harry Kane says, no, I've scored one huge pressure. I'm going to give it to Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire misses. What's your thoughts on Harry Kane then? No, I, I hear what you're saying, but the way he skied it, like it was so clear. The oh, yeah, well, we all had that feeling, yeah, obviously. You know what I mean? And 
I think there was a game for Manchester United. A Lukaku, I think it was a Rashford's goal against PSG. Lukaku was actually the penalty yeah. taker for United at the time. And I think he scored a penalty early in the game. He gave and it he was on a hat trick. He was on a hat trick and he gave it to Rashford because he knew he's like, no, no, I don't, I'm not feeling this. I'm going to give it to someone else. It takes a mature player to do it. It's a, it's a ballsy decision. But I think your, Kane was asking a lot. I think particularly coming against your teammate, who you probably practice all your penalties against anyway, that, that's a bit too much psychology for me. I, I think he should have given it to someone else. It's interesting. Stephen here saying, which I agree, huge pressure. Kane isn't alone in missing under pressure. The shootouts this um, tournament have been seen uh, more saves than I can remember. Is there a thing now? Obviously, the, the, there's a new goalkeeping rule in regards to goalkeepers have to be on the line, which actually technically makes it easy for the striker. I'm thinking that is a feeling, uh, not just throughout the World Cup, but through English Premier League and wherever you watch football around the world. There is a trend now. Maybe statistics sort of prove me wrong in this feeling, but I'll have a feeling. It's sort of, I get the sense that there are more saves in penalties these days, and I'm just thinking, is that a trend you feel as well? And is, if so, is there a reason for that? Yeah, that's interesting. Um I, I don't know, to be honest. It, it's it's a difficult one. I think goalkeepers have obviously come on. Um, you have to think the amount of analysis work that goalkeepers do nowadays is obviously much more advanced. I, I don't know if 15, 20 years ago, goalkeepers were, I suppose, studying penalty takers. Which way do they go? Which way do their hips face? I would say that that's the evolution of the goalkeeper. The, the amount of analysis in football, um, let alone goalkeeping. So I, I would probably attribute it down to that. Yeah, no, definitely. Is there any talking points on the sort of we'll, we'll discuss the fallout in regards to England going home from the World Cup? But in regards to talking points of the match, like okay, well, okay, should someone else have taken the penalty, etc.? But in regards to I don't know, is there a Manchester United aspect you want to look at things in terms of Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, or was there the refereeing performance which we touched on against Netherlands, Argentina? We thought that referee was poor. I thought the referee again today. Oh, it was a weird one. I thought he let the game go in a, in a decent way at times. I thought it, it said he added to the game, but then I thought some decisions were just, what is this referee doing? And then, so I was kind of mixed, not blaming the referee. I thought France but maybe deserved to go through, even though England, I did think, played quite well by their standard, not by their standards in a derogatory way. But I thought, fair enough, France went through, so I'm not blaming the referee for that. But I thought, yeah, a few questions around him. What, what did you make of the Harry Kane penalty call in the first half with Open Meccano? Uh, that's a Outside thing, the like, box. penalty for me. Outside the box. Was it outside the box? Yeah. Well, in any case, I mean, they should have at least had a foul then. I mean... Well, no, but, well, if the referee doesn't give it, he can't go back and give a free kick with VAR. Oh, I, I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was way for... Uh, well, 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 thought... Someone might be able to tell me it was inside the box. My first instinct was it was just outside. I think where England got this wrong is I think Rashford should have started. So if you... I'm not saying this from a United point of view, but on your point... I think England lacks that getting behind player today. Uh, and you see how high France play. And Upper Makano, he had a shaky game, to be honest. I thought between him and Hernandez, there were mistakes there. And there was an opportunity to get a player like Rashford who can get in behind a defense. I think Rashford has scored a hat trick against Upper Makano as well. He did against the Champions Wendell League. RB Leipzig, yeah. During the my, my thing with Rashford, and I agree, uh, I would have liked to have seen Marcus Rashford play as much as I've criticized him on here in recent months. However, in regards to, let's put it, um, Marcus Rashford in a wide position in a Gareth Southgate system, yes, attackingly, and we've talked about sort of not playing three at the back and giving France problems going forward and making France think about something. But ultimately, you do have to worry about what France is going to bring. So there is a defensive side to the manager's sort of team selection. I'm just thinking Marcus Rashford defensively. Yes, we do like everything that he brings going forward. There's no hiding from the fact defensively and work rate-wise. 
maybe someone else does provide a little bit more than Rashford. So can you understand from Gareth Southgate's point of view in, in regards to that? Yeah, and I suppose um, he's vindicated in his selection of Saka, who I thought was probably England's best player. Uh, so, yeah. you know. Uh, can I say as well on Saka, he has come on leaps and bounds. I, I thought he's, he's better than I thought he was. Better than what I thought he was. Yeah, uh, twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, I thought he's all right. Um, I thought it was just Arsenal fans blowing smoke up his ass, if I'm being entirely honest. But he's really kicked on, uh, and he looks good. He, he's a very technical player. He, he's intelligent. I like the way he plays. He's, he's very good player, Saka. And I got to say, Phil Foden as well. He's done well to force himself into the starting lineup at the start of the tournament. Could barely kick a ball around. So. Uh, credit to him. And, and I thought he played well. Struggled to get into the game, though. Um, let me ask you this. Um, Chilmany, um, obviously, it was a battle of two young midfielders. We saw Chilmany on, on the other side for France. We saw Bellingham for England. Um, in the in the battle of the, the teenlets, if I'll, for lack of a better term, Tom, uh, the teen starlets, if you like, uh, who do you think won that battle? Well, sure, man, he can look at the scoreboard and, the, and his name on the score sheet and say he won the battle. I, I thought it was a good one. Away I don't, penalty. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, look, it's one of those ones. I think both players can, whether through the 90 minutes or through the tournament as a whole, look on their displays in, in a very positive way. I don't think Jude Bellingham can go, oh, sure, man, he got the best today. That means he's better. I don't think sure, man, he can rest on his laurels and say I'm better than Bellingham now. I think it's just one of those ones that two good players had a good battle. I think, okay, the Frenchman came out on top today. I don't think that's going to knock any um, sort of figures off Jude Bellingham's transfer fee. So I think it was a good, very good battle, very good test for both of them. And I thought both did very well. Obviously, when one loses, you think, oh, okay, the other one did better. No, I just thought both players did very well. Great goal by Chilmany. Everyone knows my thoughts on Jordan Pickford when you shoot from distance. I think it's a very good chance of going in. If you, and I know you laugh, but I'm telling you, if you shoot from distance against Pickford, there is a very good chance. Like he just doesn't have the footwork and the reach to be able to get across. But a question here from Emad, I'll throw to you, Larry. Interesting one, that penalty. Should Hernandez have been sent off last man? Because the referee didn't even give it to start. It had to go to VAR. And I'm just thinking, I, yeah. I'm not sure the direction of the ball, if Mason Mount was going to get a touch on it or control. It was definitely a foul. It was 100% a penalty. Now, I'm not sure if it's deserving of a red card. Now, the foul maybe is in terms of goal-scoring chance, but would Mount have got on the ball, controlled it, and got a shot away for it to be determined as a sort of goal-scoring chance? But if, let's say, he still misses that penalty, France down to 10 men for the last couple of minutes of the match. It does change things. So would you have potentially seen a red card in that incident? Um, I was happy with the yellow, to be honest. I, I don't think, yeah, it was last man, I agree, but I don't think it was clear cut. I think a lot has to happen for that to be a goal. Uh, so, I mean, I, I was happy with it. I understand what Ian saying, and to the letter of the law, you could argue that's correct. But in the context of the situation, I, I think a yellow card suffices. Yeah, look, I, I'd probably agree in regards to that. Stephen here saying, yeah, Pickford reflexes at cro um, close range. Look, yeah, 100%. You look at the save from Jirud. But as I said, that, that was... He's yeah, so... Well, okay, that, that, that adds to my feelings towards Pickford, 100%. But yeah, close range, yeah, he does have fantastic reflexes. That's say from distance. can we talk about him? I know, I know we're trying to be professional and give a, an, an in-depth analysis on the game, but on Pickford, the way he carries on after every single save, as if he is God's gift to football, Oh, my God. He is embarrassing. He is embarrassing. If I was no, his parent, I'd wear a mask over my face. Just so I, I, I've, I've been saying it since 2018, the first time I saw him. I think it was at Sunderland. Um, never a player I've had too much time for, and I've seen some of his off-field antics as well. And, um, look, it is what it is. But, look, let's go to the other end of the pitch, and I definitely don't want to sort of scapegoat Harry Kane. Not that I have any love for Harry Kane. He's Tottenham striker, plays for England, no love loss. But 
Here's a play, as I said at the start, start of the show, if this was a Manchester United player, if Marcus Rashford scored that penalty or David Beckham got sent off or Wayne Rooney got sent off or Phil Neville gave away a penalty against Romania, all these things Manchester United players get hung out for, hung out to dry. Now, I don't think Harry Kane should be hung out to dry, but ultimately he's missed a crucial penalty. England have gone out. Should he be? Not not hung out to dry, but, but maybe not should he because he shouldn't, but will he be um, scapegoated for England's failure? Um, I don't. I don't think so, and I don't think it's right to. Ultimately, I think England had, like we said, they, they had the better share of possession. I thought they had the more clear-cut chances, uh, and ultimately, uh, they didn't win because they simply didn't. They weren't lethal enough in the final third. They didn't create enough um, decisive chances, and as a result, they didn't score. Uh, so oh, I, I just, I don't. I'm not willing to say that's on Harry Kane. Can I say? And I hate to say this, and. Please don't abuse me for saying this. I'm happy it wasn't a black player because if that was a black player, yeah. Twitter would be a different place right now. Oh, well, we saw that a year ago. Was it a year ago in the Euros with Sancho, Saka, Rashford? Or was that two years ago? I've, over, lost track yeah. of the, I've lost track of the calendar. Yeah, it was July, last year, yeah. Well, Emad bringing a similar, the same point up here. Imagine being a black um, United player and missing an English Yeah, fan if that was Rashford who missed, there'd be racial abuse all over Twitter. Oh, God, and look, not a criticism. Rashford, God, he, what a hero he could have been, and, and rightly so, if he put that free kick. It was a great free kick. It was a great free Okay, it missed, but it was a great free kick. It was just the fine margins Um, we do live in when we sort of do support football. That would have been one hell of a story by Rashford. But in regards to that, so sort of the last point before we move on, in regards to sort of the fallout of the whole World Cup, just specifically on England, Gareth Southgate. Now, I'm sure when England are going to get knocked out of the tournament, Brazil got knocked out of the tournament, sacked the coach. Portugal manager is probably going to get a sack now as well. Gareth Southgate, his position will be up for debate, no doubt. Half the people will be Southgate out. Half the people say, no, he's taken us to finals and semifinals and good displays here. Ultimately, France are a better team. What are we going to do? Gareth Southgate now, in regards to we're picking apart things with England and sort of personnel and refereeing decisions, ultimately, if you're the FA, would you just sit back, and I'm not saying this is the right or wrong decision, but would you just sit back and say, well, France are better than England? France beat England 2-1. That's standard. How can you sack the manager? Like, are you going to sack the Brighton manager if they lose to Manchester City? No. Manchester City are better bright than Brighton. You're going to keep the manager. I'm just thinking, where do you sit on regards to Southgate's position on this World Cup display? Yeah, it's a difficult one. I, I, I personally, I, I know there's a different sentiment with the English fans. I actually think he's done a, a pretty good job. Um, I've seen commentary around... You know, what's he really done? He's had favourable um, ties, had favourable results. Um, he's only beaten Germany out of the top sides in the, in most recent years. And you know what? you probably be right in saying that. However, ultimately, he can't choose the side that he's that England uh, ends up facing. And I, I don't think this is quite golden generation England. If you look at the 2002 to 2010-ish English side where you had you know, Rio Ferdinand, John Terry at his peak, um, Sol Campbell just a bit before that, um, Hargreaves, Scholes, Gerrard, Lampard, Rooney. That was stacked. Every single position was stacked, probably except the goalkeeper. And uh, I don't think this English side, I've seen some pundits say, you know, this is a golden generation of England. They should really be going further in this tournament. With all due respect, um, you look at the defence of England there. We watch Harry Maguire on a weekly basis. He's out of favour for Manchester United. He's not first choice for Manchester United. He's, he he starts for England and it's not even close. There's not 
a high demand of quality defenders, um, you know, really putting any competition or pressure on Harry Maguire, who doesn't start for his club. So if that's the case, and, and with St. John Stones has probably only risen a prominence with Manchester City over the last 12 months. You look at that defense, Luke Shaw, obviously hot and cold. If you look at that defense, no one's sitting there saying that there is not one player in that defense where you say this is world-class. No one's looking at Jordan Pickford and saying he's a world-class goalkeeper. No one's looking at Declan Rice and saying he's one of the best midfielders in the world. I think England are exactly where they are. They're a top eight, top six side in the world, and that's exactly what they're, they're performing to their potential. So is Southgate underperforming? No. Is he overperforming? No. I think he's just kind of a bit lukewarm. But I guess the argument and question I ask you then is, could a better manager get more out of these players? Uh, I think it alludes into my next point, which Emad brought up in relation to what you were saying. Their English repetitive failures on world stage. They're basically Spurs in an England shirt. No manager can succeed there. On that last sentence, no manager can succeed. I've always had that feeling in regards to managers coming in and working under the Glazers. No matter how good they are, no matter how good our players are, if you do have your hands tied in certain aspects, there's only so much you can do. And an international manager, whether that be England, Spain or Morocco, you're only limited to the players with that passport. I'm just thinking you're, you're sort of very restricted to what you can do. You look at the best managers in the world are the managers like a Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola can go out and do what they want in the transfer market. Now, Jurgen Klopp will say he can't do what he wants to do in the transfer market. He does. He spends big money on a lot of big players. So I'm just thinking uh, I think sometimes we yeah, maybe unfairly criticise international managers. I've had this discussion with Graham Arnold saying, why shouldn't he play like this? Why shouldn't he play like that? Well, he's playing against Mbappe and Griezmann and players like that with half an A-League squad. I'm thinking he's doing actually probably a better job than we do give him credit for. So I think the international managers sometimes do get a hard job, especially with it unable to be working tactically with the team sort of week in, week out like a club manager does. If you're going to get the team for two or three weeks every four months, it's obviously hard to sort of instill your philosophy. And ultimately, we do look at sort of failures in regards to World Cup. So Brazil have failed, England have failed, Portugal have failed. There's 32 teams at this World Cup, let's say... Six, maybe six to ten have sort of realistic ambitions of winning the World Cup. You're going to sack nine managers for not winning it then? Only one team can win it. Only one team can win the Champions League this year. There's probably five, five or six teams who can do it. You're going to sack Pep Guardiola if he doesn't win the Champions League? Now, ultimately, that's a very specific discussion. Maybe he should in terms of his job criteria. But there's great managers, great players, great teams who aren't going to win things because, unfortunately, we don't like to accept this. We all look in our own backyard at, okay, we should do this. Every other club, every other team is having the same discussion. I think sometimes we forget that that there's obviously two sides or two um, teams in every game. Yeah, I agree with you. I think ultimately it shouldn't be black and white. We have to look at how what is the way in which a team loses. If I look at Brazil, for example, they were dancing at halftime against South Korea. Now, if you're going to dance, and I personally enjoyed it, like I enjoyed watching it as a spectacle because I say that's very Brazil. If any other team did it, I'd probably say they're arrogant. But that's Brazil being Brazil. In saying that, if particularly if you're the coach, if you're going to participate in all of that, you need to make sure you're going far in this World Cup. Yeah. So you could argue they acted arrogantly. And uh, in, in Brazil's case specifically, they should be going through. With, with all due respect to Croatia, I mean, they should really be beating the opposition they're up against. So in, in that case, I, I think it's probably justified that the coach loses his job. If, if, your, um, if your team are favourites and there is a clear quality gap in terms of players, then it does come down to the coach because if the side has weaker players, they're going to look to sit back. They're going to be pragmatic. They're going to be difficult to break down, which is what Croatia did. 
then it's then it's solely a manager's performance to get the best out of his players, right? So if you're not being able to do that, then I think you're right to sack a, a coach. But if you're looking at it in, say, Graham Arnold's case, where he's getting a tune out of the players that are, un unfortunately, insufficiently lower quality compared to most oppositions that they'll face at the World Cup, well, then, I mean, like you say, you can only use the, the tools at your disposal. So I, I don't think it's black and white. But in the case of Brazil, I think it's the right decision. In the case of Portugal, I think it's the right decision. Southgate, I think England could have won today if it was a if the ball bounces a different way, if there's a little bit more luck, if Harry Kane puts the ball in the back of the net in terms of a penalty, Southgate can't control that. So, and and in, in, in that in the case of England, benefit of the doubt. Yeah, no, no, definitely shout here. Ian Adam, the same can be said for the Moroccan coach and the Portuguese manager. It'll be very interesting what happens with the Portuguese manager. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. But um, just one question here. Before we move on, I want to look at the semifinals and look ahead to the World Cup. But just a question here from Adam. Or not, not a question. He makes a statement. And why play Henderson today? He's awful. I've got my own thoughts about Jordan Henderson. My question to you, Larry, and answer this in the live chat as well. When we saw the team sheet, it was 4-2-3-1. Obviously, Jordan Henderson in a midfield three with Bellingham and Rice and Kyle Walker at right back. From what I saw, and it, it did change. It was very flexible in what England were doing. But I thought for large chunks of that match, in my opinion, England were playing three at the back. I saw Jordan Henderson as a right back as a right wing back and a lot of right wing back, right midfield. And Kyle Walker was really tucking in to maybe protect Stones and Maguire from Maguire, uh, from Mbappe cutting in. So not to have a big sort of discussion about it, but on England's shape, was it a three at the back or was it an old fashioned four, two, three, one? I found it lopsided. I, I, Shaw played quite high, but I thought. That's what I mean. I thought he's a wing back and Maguire was almost at left back and Walker came yeah. in and. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think it was fluid, but with the ball, absolutely. Shaw definitely played higher than Walker. No debate there. Uh, and I, uh, what you're saying is right. I think Walker played deeper to counter the, I suppose, the attack of Mbappe. Can I say, when Walker and Mbappe went one-on-one -on -one in that second half, Walker's fast and Mbappe has the ball and Mbappe burnt him. It, it, he is ridiculously quick. Who do you think wins in a foot race between Mbappe and Marcus Rashford? Uh, I don't know over what distance. It, we'll it's say, harder. We'll say 20 meters, 40 meters, and 100 meters. Give me an answer for all. I'd say that. Rashford over maybe 100 meters, but uh, over that 20 meters, uh, I think Mbappe uh, over anyone. Uh, I think just the power he has to go past people, the agility, the, the skill, as I said, with the ball at times as well. So get rid of the ball and get him a pair of running spikes. I think he'd burn anyone. But um, Adam here's saying, um, France were clinical today. Let's hope we can be as clinical today as well. Obviously, he's. I'm lining up with us for the supporters club in um, the Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney. We're playing Arsenal in a few hours' time. Larry and I and a few people in the chat will be sort of donning the boots and getting out there. So if you are in Sydney, um, please do come down to Five Sports at Karen Bar, 4 p.m. kickoff. All is welcome. We'll have a bit on the barbecue, a few drinks, and obviously watch some of us um, put on the Manchester United shirt and do our best to replicate our um, stars. The forecast has, will be a little more friendly to us. Not quite Qatar World Cup temperatures, but... It will be 28 degrees, so it will be a warm day. Um, so, Tom, I'm formally putting in a request to sit in defence. <laughs> I can choose oh, we'll whether see, I we'll, run or we'll not. We've got a small squad today, only of, I think, 15 or 16 players, which sounds a lot, but um, for the shape of a lot of us, that is um, quite testing, especially in hot conditions. So there will be plenty of sort of rolling off and rolling on in regards to substitutions. But if you are enjoying this and sort of looking ahead to this sort of dramatic semi-final stage, where please do leave a like on the video. That would be great. But, Larry, we'll look ahead. And where do you want to start with now? We have – actually, I haven't even looked at the finals now. We've got Argentina-Croatia, and that obviously means Morocco against France. We'll start on Argentina-Croatia. 
Croatia are there for a reason. They're, they're not fluking it. They're there because they deserve to be in there. And I'm just thinking Argentina are the one team. Is that, Are we talking about Croatia versus Argentina? Or are we talking about Croatia v Messi? Because it's interesting. And I'm not saying Argentina are solely reliable on Lionel Messi, but just in regards to the narrative in terms of the way we're viewing the World Cup, Ronaldo v Messi, Portu- Portugal didn't get knocked out today. It was Ronaldo who got knocked out. You wouldn't believe Port- Bruno Fernandes, Diogo Delo. Um, the guy who scored the hat-trick, those players have not been mentioned, nor, nor should they be mentioned. It's a team game, but it's Ronaldo's been knocked out, and I'm just thinking Messi and Argentina have a similar feel. Just your thoughts on that. Is it Croatia-Argentina or Croatia v Messi? Um, I think Argentina do have other... Like, look, Messi's obviously the focal point. I mean, let's not... Let's call a spade a spade, Tom. Between you and I here, no one's listening. Messi's probably Argentina's best player, but... Uh, look, there, there are good players there, and I, I think what you're saying is correct in the sense if you're Croatia, I, I think you're going to – there is a risk that they put too much emphasis on Messi that another player could almost take the spotlight. I think um, uh, Alvarez for, from City, I, I like him. He makes a few mistakes, but I think that's just a maturity thing. In terms of his ability, I, I think he's a very talented kid, a very good player. And I could see an opportunity for him to potentially come off the bench and do something if, if it is a tight cagey game, which I do expect it to be. But Argentina need to be better. I think as a team, they've really struggled. Um, and it ultimately has been Messi saving them time and time again. There needs to be a little bit more. Um, in saying that, in tournament football, you would think that save your best performances as the deeper you go. I, I'm hoping Argentina... I don't mean to be disrespectful here. I think a Croatia-Morocco World Cup wouldn't be very attractive. I, I think we need a big name in that final. I'm, I'm um, starting to like that. Look, I agree. Like, here we are at the start. We're talking about Brazil, France, Portugal, Argentina, England, Argentina. Now it's getting closer. You think in terms of what the – maybe not Croatia. Obviously, they had their time um, 2018. I wouldn't begrudge them another um, display in the final. But something about Morocco, like that would get excitement for me. Morocco, no, yes, I'm yeah. on board. But I'm – with all due respect, Croatia is probably the one I want to see fall by the waistline now. If there's any Croatians in the comments, I'm really sorry. I love Shavape, but I'm I'm just going to have to burn it for this time around because I just there needs to be a sexy name here. We need uh, we need superstars in the World Cup final, and I think for the for the if I can't get Ronaldo versus Messi one last time, at least let me see Messi with the opportunity to take his legacy all the way. I need to see that. We have to, you you correctly highlighted to me yesterday. I forgot it actually. Argentina, finalists in the 2014 grand final. This is Messi's last chance. It's his last World Cup, very likely. I don't think he'll be there in 2026. It's his last chance to really cement his legacy. We need it. We need a story to come out of that final. Croatia, I'm there for you, but they did it four years ago. They had their opportunity. Argentina have to win this game. You talk about performances in Argentina having to improve and saving better performances to last. There's a comment here from William. Haven't seen you in the live chat, mate, but um, hope you are well and um, enjoying the chat. Argentina won't be taking Croatia lightly. It'll be tough for both teams. Is there a case, and you're right with what you say about Argentina, but is there a, Cro- a Croatia? Is there a chance or a case that Croatia are doing the same and they're improving in this tournament? And if they're only getting better and they're getting results against teams like Brazil, they're actually going to be the ten- no, I wouldn't say favourites going into this match, but maybe more likely to put in a good uh, good performance. It's possible, absolutely. And look, credit to Croatia. I got to be honest. Um, I had them doing well to get out of. Well, I did think they'd get out of the group, but I, I, it's an aging squad. 
to be polite, but can I say Luka Modric? Yesterday? You could say aging or experienced. He's, but he is brilliant. Like the, the problem with modern fans, and look, I, I'm guilty of it too. I think we do fall into the trap of, we, we look at a player, we say, oh, he's 35, 36, oh, he must be finished. But if you're not a player who runs or if running isn't your primary skill set, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Modric has the best football brain of anyone left at this World Cup. So he can be a step ahead of you mentally. He doesn't need to beat you with his feet. He beats you with his mind and he's so tactically brilliant. Best player on the pitch yesterday for Croatia, I thought. They can, they, I mean, they've got every opportunity of going all the way. I just want to go into the, okay, well, we looked on that sort of, we'd like to see Argentina in the final, but if Croatia get there, Croatia are going to be fully deserving of it. But in the segue into the next other final in regards to France and Morocco, just two comments here from Stephen and Emad, which sort of goes into my first point. You're discussing Lionel Messi and what it means for him to potentially make a final. But Stephen, here with a shout in regards to opposite ends of the career, Messi and Mbappe, GOAT versus the contender. And you look at Mbappe's already won the World Cup, for God's sake. And Emad here saying Mbappe is the heir to what Messi and Ronaldo are leaving behind. And I'm just thinking we've had the discussion in regards to what Pele said earlier. Pele is one, one of these players, unfortunately, I wouldn't say unfortunately, yeah, I'd say unfortunately, potentially left out of this greatest of all time discussion where it's all about Messi and Ronaldo at the moment. Some of us will throw Maradona in there. And I think Pele is one player who should be in there. I don't have him as the greatest of all time, but in regards to what he has achieved and done in the game, he's someone that I think has been left out, unfortunately, of that discussion. But in regards to what um, he did at young age in terms of winning three World Cups, Mbappe's won a World Cup, he scored in World Cup final, he's potentially going to go win a second World Cup. You'd look at what Messi and Ronaldo, I say this in the nicest way, haven't done in their career yet in regards to win a World Cup. And Mbappe's already done that, so we're looking at his legacy so far. And we, we'll touch a little bit on his performance today, but Kylian Mbappe, is he just going to be the difference? Now, he wasn't the difference today, obviously. All the, all the Giroud and Antoine Griezmann, I thought, really stood up for France. But if the France are going to win a World Cup, it is, in my opinion, going to be down to Mbappe. As much as I think Griezmann and Schumann and everything are pulling the strings and sort of providing the platform, ultimately, you need that killer. And I think Mbappe is um, on the verge of doing that again. Yeah, of course. Mbappe is um, he's he's very arrogant, um, and I, I think he has a right to be. Uh, and I think that's the only thing that will stop Mbappe from having a legacy in terms of one of the greatest of all time will be himself. He, he is the only thing that can stand in his own way. Um, he is Rashford and Mbappe are actually very similar style players, but Mbappe is just that level better. He everything Rashford can do. Mbappe does it with that bit more class. His his agility to go, his agility at high speed is phenomenal. I don't think enough respect is given to how quickly he can change directions at top speed. It is I've never seen a player like it to be honest. I, I think even if you think of peak Ronaldo, Ronaldo was quite direct. Mbappe can have you going left, going right with the you, you blink your eyes and he's gone. Um, he is he's brilliant. If he and you know what's scary, Tom? He's twenty-two years old, or he's twenty-three. Mbappe, mm. oh, he can go so far in this game. I think he'll. Can I ask you on Mbappe? Where do you think he'll actually end up? If you, if you, because he's kind of he, he's obviously a wide player at the moment. Do you see him turning into a well-rounded number nine, or, or do you think he'll maybe like Ronaldo? Do you th- expect him to be a wide player until maybe when he loses a bit more pace, he'll look to be a bit more central? Pace will be an interesting one, what he develops into. You look at what we talk about Ronaldo. My prime example of someone with pace changing their game was Ryan Giggs. 
in terms of he was a left old-fashioned left winger came in to almost play the number six role in central midfield but obviously Ronaldo did exactly the same thing but Ronaldo sort of kept his pace when he went up front the first time I saw Mbappe obviously in that run Monaco had in the Champions League I saw him as an out and out number nine then ultimately he sort of shifted wide but then obviously you look at the way football has developed and tactics and you've made the point many times and especially Ronaldo's career at Real Madrid it wasn't so much the number nine who was your most attacking threat. It was very often your right or left winger who was your main threat. You look what Mohamed Salah has done for Liverpool. We think of the number nine as the main goal scorer. Where if you look at the trend over in modern football in recent years, so many of the goals have come from wide areas. So is Mbappe a striker playing out wide, or is he a wide player sort of, or is he sort of a wide player who's sort of maybe a little bit more suited to the middle? So I'm not sure in regards to that. But do I, what do I see him at the moment? I would like to see if I was building a team, I would have Mbappe up front. I'd maybe have someone with, I'm not saying Mbappe's not creative, but I had someone with a little bit more creativity out wide with those attributes if I'm building a dream team to go past people. But I would have Mbappe up front because I think he is a very physical player. Now he does maybe roll around a little bit, which makes him look sort of not the most physical player. But I think in his threats, he does provide a real physical edge over his opponent. So I see him as a striker. But in regards to what his future sort of looks like, I think a lot of that depends on what football looks like in five or ten years. Is it going to be the wide players? Are it going to be the goal scorers? Or are we going to have sort of old-fashioned number nines? I think that we'll see. I'd like to see him up front, but the future might be for him at wide. If he's scoring goals and winning World Cups from a wide position, why would you change that? But his pace as well definitely will um, play an impact in that. But um, there is over um, 20 people in the live chat. So if you're in the live chat and you're not subscribed, please do hit that subscribe button. be very much appreciated. And do get your thoughts in before we do wrap up on who you think is going to win the World Cup now. Because I've always had all these discussions. We think, okay, this team's going to win the World Cup. Now that we're in our four teams, um, your money is pretty safe on sort of getting a pretty accurate bet. So obviously Croatia, Argentina, Morocco and France. But just a little bit on Morocco before we do wrap up that Morocco-France match, Larry. Okay, Portugal will going to beat Morocco. Spain will going to beat Morocco. Okay, France against Morocco. Okay, France will the pressure will pay. They'll beat Morocco. Can we? Obviously, we can't write off Morocco. Obviously, and I think a lot of us would love Morocco to make the final. But are we just going to say, okay, this is one step too far? But we did that with Leicester. Okay, they're going to fall off. They're going to fall off. Greece are going to fall off. Morocco are going to fall off. Just so your thoughts on? Yes, there is a chance. But are you giving them a chance? Yeah, of course they have a chance. Um, I mean, look at who they've gone through to get here. They've been in Spain. Um, aside with World Cup winners, a side that's mature and plays good football and dominates the ball. And that can be really frustrating to play against. Um, so, I mean, they've done well to get there and they've now been in Portugal. They've been in Spain and Portugal to get here. I mean, it, it's a hell of a statement. Who's to say they can't go on a, and, and beat France? You know, I think their confidence will be high. And, and you know what? They've actually got some good players in their side. Um, they've got Hakim Ziyech. They've got Hakimi, who I think is the best right back in the world at the moment. Um, and you've got um, Enez, Enezri um, up front who's scoring goals. He's playing well. So if you've got someone up front who can bang in goals, your defense sets up well, you tactically set up well and you frustrate teams and you've got good technical players and a coach who you have to say, I mean, I, don't, I, I didn't hear of their coach really, but if you, if you look at what he's doing, I mean, this is how you build your legacy. You, you, know, if, if it, you know what I'd love to see out of this World Cup, Tom? If a player out of that Morocco team gets a big move, that'd be phenomenal. Yeah, um, no, it was what I was alluding to. I was thinking, who would I take at Manchester United? Now, it's a very small sample size. I'm not making yeah. any rash judgments of going spending $6 million on any of their players, but it is worth a look. Now, you don't want Manchester United to sort of hit the reaction button and go and sign someone off the back of a good World Cup, but ultimately, would we have signed Cristiano Ronaldo off the back of if he didn't perform the way he did in that preseason friendly? So sometimes you do need to just sort of jump at an opportunity. I'm not saying that should be the case here, 
But it's interesting one. Um, Param here reminded this is the guy in midfield I do like. Now, re- remind me yeah. of where he has played. I think he's played in English Premier League. I don't know if it was Watford or not. I'm not sure. But he is a player that sort of brings about. I think he's potentially at Fiorentina now. But um, he, he's, I think, run the show. Not run the show in midfield, but provided a, a huge edge in midfield for them. And um, George here, Morocco's players are very underrated. El Nishri scored um, against us in the Europa League semi a couple of years back. What team was that? Uh, I, I remember the name. I remember he sort of bouncing around, but I um, can't remember the goal or which team. Who was the Europa League semi-finals? The Celta Vigo? No, there was a different guy. Might have been uh, when we got knocked Who out against um, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But um, Premier reminded yeah, his brother played at Watford. He's at Fiorentina now. So, so, so I did remember the brother. But, yeah, um, severe, that's the most recent one. Yeah, no, I thought he's a Fiorentina, but his brother, I don't know if it was a similar look in terms of, I remember one, one of them being at Watford. But um, Stephen here reminded me about World Cup sweeps. Obviously, you've got a Brian Robson and Dennis Irwin signed photo. Um, there's four people left. Um, Stephen, I think you have Argentina from memory. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think you have Argentina, so you're still in with a shout. I know good mate of ours, Antonio, has Morocco somehow managed to survive the draw this long, so who knows? Antonio might be the, um, the lucky winner. Um, if Morocco do get there, I forget who has France and Croatia, but I will check on those for the next stream if anyone does have any questions in regards to that. And Sport Gregory, good to see you, mate. Bye-bye, England. So with those four teams left, Larry. France getting harder and harder now, I don't know who I want to win. I want to see Lionel Messi win it because I think his career deserves it. I also want that Lionel Messi-Ronaldo discussion to continue, which means I don't want Lionel Messi to win it because I think that sort of ends that debate in, in certain aspects. I would like to see someone else win it. I'd love to see like Mbappe add to his legacy in regards to having two World Cups uh, under his belt at such a young age. Then I'd love to see Morocco beat Croatia, and I'd love to see a chance where Morocco are potentially world champions. So if I'm a betting man, I'm saying France, are getting it over potentially all three teams. But ultimately, how can you write off Argentina? Croatia are fairly undeserving of being there, and obviously Morocco are there. So talk to me um, about your favourite with four teams remaining. Favourite has to be France. Um, rightfully so, too. They're, they've been A lot of that squad have been there and done it. And ultimately, that, that is why you'd be crazy to bet against them. Uh, I mean, Mbappe at... Is he 23? I'm going to check Mbappe's age. I want to get this statement right. But if he can, I mean, he's definitely less than 25. I know that. Um, He's 23 years old. Actually, his birthday is on the 20th of December. There you go. So one day after the World Cup, he'll turn 24. If he manages to have two World Cups under his belt by the age of 23, oh, my God. But, uh, I mean, he's cementing his legacy already in terms of the world stage. Um, can I say, though, I think, can we take this beyond sport? I, I don't like to get geopolitical or anything. It would be such a good story if Morocco win it. Oh. Um, that obviously ties to the Middle East, um, which a lot of countries in the Middle East are doing it really tough for a multitude of reasons at the moment. Um, you, you, you know, with everything going on in Iran, um, pa- Palestine, Lebanon, uh, there's so many conflicts going on in the Middle East. And I think a, a, lo- a lot of those people could really do with some joy. And I think with Morocco having, you know, a, an Arabic background, I think um, I think that could do, uh, do provide a lot of feel good for a lot of those nations. So for that reason, I'm all in on Morocco. I, I hope it happens. Um well, well, you're completely right, and, that, and that's a very look. You're completely right. I agree completely. It's very sort of, as you said, a bit of a political discussion there. I tie it back to the, the same the same issues, but in regards to football 
and how I did start the podcast in regards to talking about Pele, talking about an African team winning it. Unfortunately, if we want to put Pele in this greatest of all time discussion, the greatest of all time Pele, unfortunately, potentially only has a couple of days left to live. And I think if Morocco, an African team, can win it in Pele's lifetime, I think that would be, I don't want to use the word beautiful, but it would have that beautiful feeling towards it. Yeah, I mean, it, it would. It would, absolutely. Um, and, and for Africa, oh my God, don't even start on all the horrible things that happen in that continent on a daily basis. It would be phenomenal for Morocco to win. I'm all on board. Um, got yeah. Safraz Ali. Nice to see you in the comments, mate. Don't think we've seen you before. Um, Pakistani Muslim. There you go. Like you, You've got... Muslims will be supporting Morocco. Africans will be supporting Morocco. All of the Middle East will be supporting Morocco. I think the world's favorite right now is Morocco. Uh, I'm a white Australian. Man, I'm supporting Morocco. There you go. The white man, <laughs> the, the white straight man from down under supporting Morocco. But look, you're a brave man to bet against France. You're a brave yeah. man to bet against France. Just to, to wrap up this podcast, Larry, obviously a great discussion about the World Cup. If you have enjoyed that, please do leave a like on the video. That'd be great. And if you are someone new in the live chat, if you could hit that subscribe button, we'd love you very much. But Stephen, giving us a reminder here, Larry, Manchester United played a couple of hours ago and lost. No Manchester United players bowed out in the quarterfinals, so they are coming home, clearly need new players. We did lose 1-0 to Raul Bittis. Um, Not really discussed oh. and not really should, should be discussed in regards to what it was. I saw it was a sort of heavily rotated team again. But... Um, did you hear any talking points from it or anything sort of spring to mind or just one of those things we move on? Uh, no, we move on. But, okay, I'll, let me end this video on a bit of a cliffhanger and, you know, it might be a reason to perhaps do another video. But let me ask you this question. Just give me one-word answer responses. Mbappe or Rashford? Well, what's the question? Who, better players. We're, we're comparing okay, players. Uh, Mbappe. Okay. Who else we got? Harry Maguire or Upamakana? Upamakana is, uh, I think, got a, I don't want to say higher ceiling, but yeah, yeah, ultimately, if you're building a team, you'd you'd take him. All right. Bruno Fernandes or Enzo Fernandes? Look, I'd take Bruno. I haven't seen too much of his Enzo Fernandes. I know he has a lot of hype around him, and obviously if he walks through the door at Manchester United, I'd love to take him in terms of a lot of people do rave about him. I just haven't seen enough of him. And what Bruno Fernandes has done in a Manchester United shirt, I think he earns my um, time. Luke Shaw or Hakimi? I know they're different positions, but they're both fullbacks. Yeah, a tough one. I know you said one-word responses. I think it's impossible to do that because Hakimi's performing very well on the world stage and obviously he's done that in Germany now in France sort of thing. But ultimately Luke Shaw sometimes hasn't done it but also has done it in England. It's a different kettle of fish when you do it in the Premier League for Manchester United. So that's a flip of a coin. Um, yeah, you'd obviously take the risk of Hakimi. Obviously you would. However, at the moment, um, Luke Shaw is probably in my good books at the moment. So I'll flip a coin and I might fall on Luke Shaw's side of things. But if, in terms of our need for right-back, Diogo Delo and Hakimi might be a different discussion. The point I'm trying to make here, Tom, is I know Stephen's tongue-in-cheek. I think there's an argument to say United's calibre of players at the moment are good, very good. Are they great? Are they good enough to take United to the peak of their power? I, I love Bruno Fernandes. You know that. He's probably my favourite player with Martial right now. But is he the best of the best? Can United be a Premier League winning side with him? I'm, I, I believe we can be. 
but it's not concrete. It's not a concrete answer until it happens. And I think but, but you, you look at what Eric Ten Hag did now, unique circumstance, but with Ajax, so that Champions League run with Ajax to, to get to the semi final. Did he have the best players? I'm thinking in a team, in the way Eric Ten Hag plays football, in terms of that team point, game versus individuals. He got the semi-final. He didn't win it. He got uh, yeah, but obviously you're gonna you're gonna have a sprinkling of better quality at Manchester United compared to Ajax. We do, we do, but I think if you're if you're gonna transfer that result, I think what would be success is getting Manchester United to a final. It'd be an upset for them to win it. The the thing for me is a manager will get the extra five percent out of a player's potential, maximize their potential. That's what a good manager does. If this is my capability, a good manager will get me performing that little bit more. That to me, that's the role of a manager to get the maximum out of their players, and that was the genius of Fergie. That that's what. To be honest, after Ronaldo left, um, I don't think United at times weren't the best team. Particularly um, Fergie's last title, he should really be proud of that achievement. Because if you look at the United side compared to Cities, truthfully, I didn't think we had a right. Um, no, look, look I, I get the feeling looking back sometimes at that, but just to wrap up a little bit of a fun discussion regarding Manchester, I do get your thoughts in on that 12-13 squad because I was thinking about and my instinct looking back is, yeah, you're right, because I think a lot of us do look at that 12-13 season, what we see, we see Tom Cleverley and Anderson in midfield. That's what we see. Look around that. David De Gea was obviously the goalkeeper of the season that year. Rio Ferdinand, Johnny Evans, Nemanja Vidic were faultless at the back. Raphael, who was the best right back in the league. Patrice Ever was the best left back in the league. You've got Paul Scholes, you've got Ryan Giggs, you've got Robin Van Persie, you've got Wayne Rooney, you've got Antonio Valencia, who was in the form of his life, maybe not with that seven shirt, but off the back of his best season. I'm just thinking it gets told maybe because it was a little bit aging in regards to what happened to David Moyes season. But if you look around that squad, take Cleverly and Anderson, who performed well in midfield with Michael Carrick, it was a title-winning team. Like, well, there's this myth and narrative, which I fall into as well, looking back and saying it wasn't as strong as it was. I agree with you, but two of the names you listed off there, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, I don't think they were still running the, the show. But the they, they came on the show. And when they played, they were brilliant, but they didn't play like... They weren't, they weren't playing the majority of the games. United had good players, but... The majority of the mid, the majority of games, the midfield was actually cleverly played a chunk of football. Um, Anderson played a chunk of football, and Michael Carrick was crucial in United securing the title that season. But if you look at the players we had, I mean, Manchester City squad was stronger, and their starting eleven absolutely was stronger. Um, and I just think that the genius of Fergie was he got the best out of every player. These are all good players. I'm not saying they weren't. They're brilliant players. You don't win a you don't win a Premier League if you're not a good player. But Manchester City should have won based on the caliber of player that they had, with all due respect. United won the league by eleven points. I think if you if you look at it now, and the reason I, I, I was listing off those names to you is I don't think United have the best player in the world in any position right now. I, I think, sorry, let me take that back. I think Casemiro, there's an argument for sure. Well, just my question here, Box put in there. It's going to be my last one for a wrap. I was going to throw the question to you. It brings up Casemiro. Now, I think there's uh, an obvious look, answer here, but we'll throw it I'm in here. It's off a Amrabat or over three, four, five games, to be honest. I think Amrabat has had a wonderful World Cup box, but Casemiro has been doing it for 10 years. Uh, so, you know, 
I think that's why, based off that, you have to say Casemiro. I think Casemiro's got a bit more football in him as well, if I'm being honest. Um, but outside of Casemiro and, look, Martinez, it's too early to say. I think there's world-class potential there. Varane, of course, is a world-class player when he's fit. Outside of those players, though, that no one's quite the peak of football. I, I think Rashford, you know, let me ask you this. If United, so Rashford's contract is up at the moment. He's, United got the one-year extension option, but he's in a contentious time in terms of his contract. If United were in a magical world linked to Mbappe or they looked to getting Gakpo to replace Rashford, I think while some fans would be aggrieved by that, I think some fans would actually say, well, they're probably better footballers than Marcus Rashford. I can get behind this. I, I I think there's a sentiment to Rashford because he's a local lad and he's obviously from Manchester and he's a Manchester United fan. But if you're looking at it purely from a, a football playing perspective, if someone says to me, we're going to replace Rashford with Mbappe, I mean, I'm not really going to argue it. One's a world-class player. One has flirted with the idea of being world-class, but I don't think he'll get there in the end. For me, it just comes 100% down to what Eric Ten Hag wants. If Eric Ten Hag wants to make Marcus Rashford captain our new number nine, that's the first thing that should be done. If he wants to sell him, it should be done. Now, I'm not saying either of those are going to happen, but it has to be 100% Eric Ten Hag's decision. But Tom, with my thoughts as well, here in regards to this discussion around 12-13, saying City should have won even though United won by 11 points doesn't mean... I think, looking back, yeah, I, I do sort of fall into the narrative that United weren't as strong as we were. City were a better team. But ultimately, I am always reminded that we won the league with these. We had such quality. Then I look back and think, yeah, well, United were far the better team. So... It is interesting. I'd love to go back 10 years to that 12-13 season when we were top of the league. And we should, if, if Nani didn't get sent off in that Real Madrid match, who knows, obviously Luka Modric scored in that game against um, Stralix Ferguson, we, we might have potentially gone on and won the Champions League um, that season. And I think we would have. I really do. That was a horrible red card. Still haunts me to now. Yeah, definitely. We obviously, a few of us um, met Nani the other week. Um, we didn't want to bring that up, but that's obviously a discussion you always do want with Nani. Sort of, what were you think? Not what were you thinking in a bad way, but what was going through your mind when you were sent off there? Was so close to sort of greatness. Was it, it a was very? For you? I, I still maintain it wasn't. For, for me, no. Look, I can understand. Okay, studs connected with the upper body. Yes, I understand that. He's but it was going a complete. Yeah, you, you need context. He didn't know he was there. A lot of the things that, in terms of, a lot of people talk about high feet in the game. Okay, that was a high foot ref. The rule's not a high foot. The rule is dangerous play. So often, if a player does a diving header, in regards to the way the rules is written, a diving header can be dangerous play. If a player is likely to make a strike at the ball in regards to kicking the ball, and you put your head there your fault in regards to providing dangerous play. So sometimes if a player gets in the way of a flying boot, we often look at the boot and say, okay, he's doing the dangerous play, but sometimes it's the person getting in the way of that boot that um, in regards to the way the law is written, um, potentially at fault, but it's not so how referees do view the game. I'm not saying they're right or wrong to do either way, but it does throw an interesting sort of angle to it. But we will wrap it up about then, Larry, in regards to has been a dramatic day. We have a busy day with the Man United Supporters Club um, playing out um, against a bunch of Arsenal supporters at 4pm. So if you are in Sydney, 4pm um, at Karen Bar at Five Sports, do come down for a barbecue, raise a little bit of money for charity. Is the game at four? Um, I thought it was at three. No, we're just telling you to get, get there at three so you can get a pl um, plenty of warm-ups in and um, oh, then you'll be right before four o'clock. But it is a four o'clock kickoff. But um, always better to be early than late. But do appreciate everyone in the live chat today. Plenty of different opinions and good interaction. Very much appreciated keeping us company on this Sunday morning. But... Um, Larry, until then, enjoy the rest of your day. Have a good, healthy lunch, and I will see you in a few hours um, for some Manchester United Arsenal. I'm going to go watch some Keen Vieira YouTube compilations to fire myself up. I'm going to be spending the next five hours stretching my hamstring, so I'll see you at three. No, definitely. <laughs> we'll need a bit of a stretch. Well.
But um, yeah, again, a big thank you to everyone who tuned in. Hopefully everyone has a good weekend and I'm sure we'll do maybe a more in-depth preview of the semifinals in a day or two. But until then, have a good one. We'll chat to you when we chat to you. Cheers.